Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. I have to start off the, the sermon today, I wanted to start with a deep theological question. A very serious note. We don't want to, um, it's kind of an odd thing to do right after a baby dedication, but I want to make it as, as serious as possible in this moment because it's kind of what um, we're learning today. Um, Cole, would you put that first slide up there? Is this a catch? Does anybody know if this is a catch? Is it? Okay, so the general consensus is that it, this is a catch. In the NFL, they change the rules every day, and so we don't know if it's a catch. Actually, this, this play, this, this exact thing that's happening was in the fourth quarter of a game against the Patriots. They were, it was like 30 seconds left in the game. The Steelers were down by three points. He catches this. That's the goal line there. He turns, and he puts the ball down, and it bobbles ever so slightly as he touches it to the other side of the end zone. And it is ruled an incomplete pass. It's incomplete pass. But now this year as fantasy football, we're, we're gearing up for our fantasy football, they've, they've changed the rules again. It's, it's changed and changed and changed. And so I have no idea what a catch is. I don't know if holding the ball with two hands before it hit the, hits the ground, yet making a football move towards the goal line and hitting the ball on the ground, and the ball did not survive the ground, according to the referee. Therefore, it is not a complete pass. I don't know. I don't know what a catch is. If you ever find out what a catch is, according to the NFL, please let me know. But that's almost what we're encountering in Philippians chapter 3. We, we have these rules that just keep coming in and coming in. And you see it in the NFL. They, they, they add in this rule, and then they add in the rule about protecting the quarterback. And now the quarterback is so protected that people are arguing football's just not the same anymore. Or the wide receivers are so protected that you can't actually defend. And so the nature of the game has changed. Well, in Philippians chapter 3, we, we encounter this, and this is kind of where Paul goes. He has this tone of joy and happiness and celebration towards the Philippian people uh, at the beginning of the, the, the book, and the first two chapters, and then chapter 3 starts like this. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. And so you're like, yes. This is so exciting. The tone is the same. Everything's the same. And then he makes like a hard left turn. He shifts real fast. He changes what he's talking about, and he goes to this. He says, verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. And as I was reading commentaries, um, apparently this is the tame version of what Paul said. We couldn't accurately describe to what intensity Paul was saying things appropriately to the English language that he was saying in Greek when he originally wrote this. So the nice way of saying it was, those dogs, those evil people, those mutilators. That was the nice way. Okay, I, didn't, I was the only person that thought that was funny at all, that that was the nice way. Okay, let's, all right, everybody, take a breath. 
let it out. You're in church. This isn't like first grade. You're not going to get hit on the knuckles with a ruler. It's okay. We can talk. We can, we can participate. We can laugh. It's all right. This is church, people. This is church. It's fun. Or if you don't experience church as being fun, you may be in the wrong churches. So uh, just, just note. That's a note to go forward. So, so basically what these people are doing, these mutilators that Paul is talking about, they, there's these Jewish missionaries who are coming from Israel, and they're going into the Greek world, and what are they doing there? They're saying, hey, Jesus is the hope, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ that we've been longing to see, but the only way for you to be saved is to become like us. The only way for you non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, to become like us is to adhere to the law. And adhering to the law meant one very specific thing for adult males. It meant circumcision. And I don't know about you, but if you were performing a missionary campaign, would you want your linchpin argument to be, Jesus is here, get circumcised? Like, is that, where, is that what you want to pin your missionary campaign on? Like, circumcision, that's our thing. It's, it's, that's what they were doing. And so that's why Paul talks so strictly and he says, you mutilators, you who want outside change but don't care about the heart of the issue, you who want to make up rules, you want to add rules to confuse things when it's really just, just faith in Christ. So Paul's really intense about this and, and, and he says this, he says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. You see, a lot of these people were holding tightly to the law, and it didn't do anything for them. But how true is it of us that we hold tightly to the law? We want to know the yes or no. But Paul is telling us firmly that obedience to the law doesn't bring salvation. It reminds me of what Paul says in Galatians. There's this, this moment in Galatians chapter 3 where he says, the real children of Abraham, so he's saying the real people of God, the real Israelites then, are those who put their faith in God. That all the law, all that had come before is irrelevant to this moment where if we don't put our faith in God, if we don't put our faith in Christ, we've missed the entire point because the law has made no one perfect. Makes no one perfect. Rules don't make us more like God. It's, but, it's, but it's interesting. It doesn't make us more, more correct. It's interesting that we like these binary responses, yes or no, right or wrong. We like these binary um, moments and we like them because it allows us to get as close as possible to the line without going over. Like, you can lean over it all you want. I'm right there on the edge. And we can stay right there. We can, we can walk as far up to it as we want. And then we know that's, okay, that's the point of sin. That's fine. Okay, so the law is saying this is the point of sin. All right, as long as I don't go over that line, I'm good. But I think... You know and I know that the law of the Bible didn't make people's hearts change. And just like the laws of our country don't make people better people, they just tell us where the boundary is. They don't change the heart. 
And I think this is why for so long in the American church we struggled. We, had, we said, hey, you need your suit and your tie and you need your dress on Sunday. And you need to show up every week. Because check boxes are easier than living a pure life. These, these suits and these ties and these dresses and, these, and our attendance, our good attendance, is easier than living a life that is fully devoted to Christ. It makes it simple. It makes it go, yes, I am righteous, good. Yes, I am righteous, good. Being at church every week is easier than sacrificing our whole life to God. Yes and no is simpler. But pure hearts aren't yes and no questions, are they? We, we see this every time we, uh, Hannah is our youth pastor here, and every time we talk about dating, you see this in youth ministry. I don't know if you have encountered this with your own children, or you as a teenager have gone in this line of argument, but what can I do in a relationship and be okay? Like, that's basically a, a pretty common question. Like, how far can I go and we're good, right? I want to know where the line is so that I can hug the line, so that I can stand right next to the line, so that I can be one with the line. But the truth is, purity is different than do's or don'ts. Purity is a heart and mind condition. It's saying, I don't want to sacrifice temporary pleasure for what is good in the end. I don't want to sacrifice momentary happiness for a lifetime of joy. That's the difference. It's like when Jesus uh, says, you know, if anybody has anger in their heart towards their brother, they've already committed murder. Well, that's a harsh statement, right? It's like, hey, I'm taking anger and extending it all the way to murder. We're letting things fester and, and be into who we are when you're going, I never murdered anybody, but you were angry. I never committed adultery, but you lusted for somebody. And that's what these, these what the Bible calls, or what, what we've named Judaizers were doing. They were saying, we want the law, and the law will make us right with God. But we see that the Old Testament, it doesn't make us right with God. So then we see, we see Jesus. He pops into the scene, and, and Jesus, who is, who is the Son of God, comes to earth, lives a perfect life, and then is killed by people who do not like what he's preaching because it challenges their power. It challenges their authority. And they put him to death. And then he comes back to life. And isn't that the beautiful story that even death couldn't hold Jesus? And that's why we gather. That's why we, we, we hang out at guys' night or ladies' night and we, we show up on a Sunday morning or we come on, 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 at, in the evening and worship our God. We do it because Jesus didn't stay dead. That was the, the linchpin of it all. And that is what Paul is professing. And here is his reply. This is what he says. And I'm going to read it verbatim for, for five or six verses. And, and this is the most profound statements that you can find from Paul. It's one of them, at least. 
And it says this, though I could have confidence in my own effort, it, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, just like we read in the baby dedication thing, like Jesus did. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a, fa- a member of the Pharisees who demand the stricted, strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. There's a... Paul's unfortunate backstory. He was so, um, so zealous for the law that he persecuted the church. He missed it so much following the law that he actually hurt the people who God promised this life to. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, not deeds, faith. It's simple. If anyone could have claimed the route of these Judaizers, these people who said, let's adhere to the law, let's add these rules, it's Paul. He knew what was and was not a catch. He somehow was able to decipher the NFL's rules. And he was able to live them out verbatim. And, and he is now advocating, nope, that's not it. I'm, if we're talking about the rules that the law has set out, I am the best. But I consider it garbage. And different translations say it harsher than that. I consider it garbage. These people have nothing on Paul, absolutely nothing on him. But if Paul doesn't advocate the law, neither should we. And this is a harsh reality. Those of us who are a part of the church who claim the name of Jesus, what rules and roadblocks are we put, putting up that aren't in Scripture for people to come to faith? Look at it. Is it a political party? Because that's not in scripture. Are we putting that in the way? Is it someone's economic status? Because um, quite honestly, uh, poverty seems to have more place in line with Jesus than riches. What are we putting in the way of people coming to faith? There is no boundary outside of sin that keeps people from God. So, so let's knock down these boundaries that don't matter. That's why we don't, we don't wear suits and ties. We want you to feel as comfortable as you possibly can. Um, there's, there's weeks where you'll see our ushers wearing shorts. Like, we're all good with, with non-sin issues. We don't, we don't care about them. We don't care about them. 
But we want to be people that don't raise up these roadblocks, don't raise up these things that can stand in the way. We don't want to be a stumbling block, as the Bible says, to people finding faith in Jesus. We don't want to be that. So Paul is telling us of this great reward. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Wow. That's, that's a sentence that no one likes to say. I want to suffer with him and share in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul's telling us of this great reward that is not a temporary pleasure. It's not this moment. And I want to be clear. Um, when, we look at, when, when we look at the book of James, it says, faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. But faith, deeds do not produce faith. Faith produces deeds. Is that direction. When we have faith in God, we are compelled to do what is right. And if we are not compelled to do what is right because of our faith in God, we do not have faith in a true God. We have faith in an advertisement, a fallacy, a fake. But faith produces good works. So I'm not saying to you, ignore everything the Bible commands. Because there's plenty of things in the Bible that are, that are products of Jesus. So Jesus like, doesn't want you to be angry and commit murder. He doesn't want you to lust or commit adultery. He doesn't want you to lie, cheat, or steal. But it seems like he cares a little bit less about these laws that are set up to be what makes us right with God. When we want our rules, we don't want Jesus. And that's what these people were doing they were going back to a pre-Jesus system. Jesus' Jesus's system is simpler and easier and better. It just is. And as we kind of wind down here, this is Paul's, he has two sections in this, in this third chapter, but this is one verse into the next section. And, I, and you guys can read the rest of it if you'd like, but... This is verse 12, and it says this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I want you to know that none of you are going to be perfect overnight. And I say this a lot, but if you think you are, just ask your family. No one's perfect. It's why I think we, we shouldn't have this issue with when calling ourselves sinners. Just ask your family. Like, they know. They've been there. But know that nobody's going to be perfect overnight. Nobody's going to arrive at perfection. Paul doesn't arrive at perfection, and Jesus literally appears in front of him on a road. Okay, if anybody was, was going to, like, reach perfection, it would be the guy who's miraculously, like, Jesus appears after he dies on a road in front of Paul, and, and Paul's not perfect. Paul makes a mistake. He, he, he has a moment with, with John Mark that is, doesn't go great, and then he apologizes for it later. 
Paul's not perfect. Paul's in no way perfect. He does not do things right all the time. But perfection will not be reached overnight. As we grow closer to, to God, as we, as we pray, as we read our Bibles, as we spend time together, as we worship together, we see these moments where we're realigning our heart toward God and aligning our lives away from selfishness. It's amazing, the more we pursue God, the more he erodes selfishness and greed and anger, and the more he builds up kindness and generosity and righteousness. It's amazing what being near God does in our lives. And like I said, perfect church attendance does not create that in your life. But it's amazing what intentional steps to be near God does in your life. There's a difference. Being at church does not qualify you as righteous. But being at church is a great step to being righteous. Worshiping God and stepping out of our comfort zones and singing out or raising our hands, moving outside of who we are to praise a God who is worthy is a step towards righteousness. Spending time in his word daily is a step towards righteousness. Praying daily is a step towards righteousness. And we want to take these small steps over and over and over again. And I think all of us want the NFL to reduce the complexity of their catch rule. I think that's just all of us. Because when we go by Jesus' thing, that catch is just a catch. He caught it. That's what matters. We get Jesus, that's what matters. It's not the turn, it's not the, the football move, it's we get Jesus. We get Jesus. And as the band comes up, we're gonna close, but when we understand that Jesus is it, that's, that's what it means to get it, is we get Jesus and we follow after him and we get near to him, that's getting it. So this morning, would, would everybody bow their heads and close their eyes um, as we pray? God, I, I just pray that you would become more real to us today than you were yesterday. That we would draw nearer to you today than we would, did yesterday. That we'd be closer to you today than we were yesterday. God, I pray this morning, if, if anybody doesn't have that relationship with you, that closeness with you, that, that time spent directly with you, would you just reveal yourself to them this morning? God, I pray that story of Jesus wouldn't be a tall tale. That it'd be a history lesson, but more than a history lesson, an experience. Knowing that 2,000 years ago, if I put, if I put my faith in what you did, 
2,000 years ago. And I believe that you actually were this man that was also God who died for me without any fault and then came back from the dead that I don't have to live captured by my sin. I don't have to live captured by my failings. If, it's, if that's you, if anybody in here that's you, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, including mine, I want you to raise your hand, and I want you to raise your hand for you, that you're making this decision for the first time. Or maybe you're making this decision again because you just feel like, over time I've moved, I've shifted, I've, I've, I've moved away from him. I'm not even looking, but God, would you raise your hand to just show God what you're doing? You don't have, you, the, the raising of the hand is nothing, but it's, it's you making a step outside of yourself that says, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you, and I can't do this without you. And for each of us in the room, God, I pray, show us where we're putting up roadblocks for people. Show us where we have discounted people because they weren't perfect, as if we were perfect. God, don't let those, those mental blocks throw up. When you speak and say, hey, share who I am with this person, invite them to church, whatever, don't let us disqualify people that you love and you care for. There are people all over this city that need to know who you are. And how dare we disqualify them from that? God, I pray, tear down those roadblocks in our lives. God, as we pursue that great reward in the end that we get to participate in the resurrection of eternal life. God, that we pursue that, but we pursue it as we, as we long to take the people that are near us with us. God, thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen.